Pull out your Bibles to uh, the book of Philemon is where we're going to be this morning. Philemon, we just wrapped up a series on heaven. Um, we are starting a brand new series next week, all summer long. We're going to be uh, walking through the book of Acts, picking up where we left off last summer. But today, Memorial Day weekend, we're going we're gonna to open up the book of Philemon together. We're going to preach through the entire book. So if you uh, have a Bible, if you left your Bible at home, uh, there's a Bible sitting underneath the seat you are sitting in. There's a blue Bible down there. You can pull that out. Philemon is on page 1101, okay? 1101. Uh, We're going to preach the entire book this morning. So buckle up. We're going to be here for a long time. Just kidding. Just kidding. It's like half a page. It's, it's a really, really, really short letter that Paul writes to a guy named Philemon. If you're having trouble finding it, it's because it's so stinking small. Um, and so if you flip to the back of your Bible, uh, the big book right there is Hebrews. You, you're going to hit Hebrews, and you start working your way backwards. It comes right before Hebrews. Um, so you have First uh, and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, then Hebrews. And so it's sandwiched right there between Titus and Hebrews. You'll find it, Philemon. And again, on the Blue Bibles, it's page 1101. Uh, Philemon is an amazing story. We're going to unpack it this morning. And here's what I want to do. As we become followers of Jesus, for those of you in the room who are followers of Jesus, you've submitted your life to his rule and reign. Um, You are pursuing him. You are walking with him in your life. You are, are, as we were talking about earlier, you're reading your Bible every day. You're engaging in the Word. You're, you're, You're communing with him in prayer. You are keeping in step with the spirit in your life, we begin to see our lives, every area of our life, through the lens of the gospel. You've heard me talk about or use that language here at Flourishing Grace before, and I want to kind of give us some lenses this morning. What happens is as we draw near to Christ and as we, as we, as we see the unimaginable, immense beauty of the gospel, the work of Christ on the cross, his death and his resurrection, and just kind of the, the, the cosmic realities of that, uh, that holds on not just my life, but on, on our entire existence, on all of creation, is influenced by the gospel. And, and the, the closer we draw towards Christ, the more we see the things of this life through the lens of the gospel. And it changes the way we think and it changes the way we act in every area of our lives. The gospel influences every area of our lives. It must. It must. It influences the way that we parent. It influences the way that we engage our spouse. It influences the way that we work at work. Whether you are a boss, it, treats, it influences the way you, you engage your employees. Or whether you're an employee, it influences the way you engage your boss. It influences everything in our lives. It influences the way that we do vacation. It influences the way we spend our money. It influences the way that we spend our time. It influences every single stinking thing in our life. The closer we draw towards Christ, the more the Spirit transforms us from one degree of glory to another into His likeness, the more the gospel just oozes from our lives. And people begin to see things in your life and they say, that's different than most people. The gospel becomes, is on display in our lives. Our lives become a portrait of what Christ did on the cross in every area of our life. And so in this story, I believe that there is a number of just beautiful gospel portraits. And I'm going to show you three. There's three main characters in this story. This is a letter 
written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? the, the great Apostle Paul um, who has led to Christ on the road to Damascus in this powerful way. He goes on to become just this unbelievable evangelist and church planner. He leads a number of people to Christ, plants a number of churches. Um, and one of the people that he leads to Christ is a guy by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras is led to Christ, we believe, um, at some point uh, when Paul is in Ephesus, the city known as Ephesus. But Epaphras is not from Ephesus. He's from a place called Colossae. Colossae. If you've been around Flourishing Grace, about a year and a half ago, we preached the book of Colossians, written to the people of Colossae. Okay? This is where Epaphras is from. And so he's led to Christ by Paul. He goes back to Colossae. He plants a church there. Paul later writes the letter to the Colossians, and it just describes this beautiful, flourishing, amazing church. And the church is, is growing in their likeness of Christ, as I was talking about earlier. They're, they're being transformed from one degree of glory to another into the likeness of Christ. They're, they're oozing the gospel in all areas of their life. Uh, when people look at them, they see Christ. This church meets in a wealthy man's house. There's a wealthy businessman in that community who, is, who has been led to Christ through Epaphras, through Paul, this guy's been led to Christ. And he says, I mean, I want the church to, to gather at my house. I know we need a gathering place. I'm rich. I got a big pad. Come, come, come meet at my house. So they clear out all the furniture. They clear out everything in the room. And the church gathers in his home. This man's name is Philemon. Philemon is the guy who Paul is writing this letter to. This wealthy businessman in the community. And the church meets in his home. Now, some of you have hosted small groups in your house, right? How, how many of you have hosted, at some point in time in your life, you hosted a small group Bible study in your, in your home? Holy smokes, that's a, a lot of you, a lot of you. How, for how many of you was that like somewhat stressful? Come on, you can be honest, come on. Right, you got to clean the house, you got to get everything ready, and everything's got to look right and look perfect. You got to put out the little, the little spread for everybody. It doesn't have to be any, can't be like too extravagant, but it can't be like too shabby either. It's got to be just like the right spread for everybody, some refreshments for people. Just make sure it's all, all good and all clean. And you're like, man, that was exhausting. Imagine doing that for the entire church. Like everybody from the 915, everybody from the 11, come on over to your house. Like not just once a week either. The church gathered regularly. They're coming over to this guy's house multiple times a week to meet in his home. Right? Imagine the poor guy's wife, right? But this is what we see, this is what we see in Philemon. All right, this is the first thing I want to show you, the first kind of gospel lens. Philemon is so moved by the gospel and, and has such a relationship with Jesus that he oozes this kind of just gospel-centered, refreshing spirits. Let, let me show you. Let's look at the text together. Um, let's look at these verses, verse 4 through 7. Here's what Paul writes to Philemon. So he's writing to this guy, and he says this about him. Verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Right? When Paul says, when I think of you, when I think of you in my prayers, as I'm praying and I'm thinking through different people in the different cities where I've been, where churches have been planted, and I think of the people that I know there. When I come to your name, thankfulness is what comes into my mind. When I think of you, Philemon, I am thankful. Why? Verse 5, because, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and all the saints. I hear of this great love you have for Christ. 
I know you love Jesus. I know the gospel just kind of oozes from your life and that you love the church. You delight in the church. You are kind to the church. You open up your home to the church, right? I, I know that's stressful and I know it's a lot of work, but you do it regularly because you love the church. And so therefore I'm thankful for that. And here's my prayer for you finally in verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. That's Paul's prayer for most people. That as you share your faith with your friends, your neighbors, and your coworkers, your family, that it would be effective. That the gospel would take hold, take root in their life as well. That they would see the beauty of Christ and that they would come to worship him. That they would lay down their lives and cling to the cross and see their need for that cross in their lives. Verse 7, for I have derived, listen to the language, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, Paul is in prison in Rome. He's in prison in Rome when he writes this letter. He says, I have received, I've derived much joy and comfort. How does he receive comfort from Philemon? Because, he, because he's been able to come and stay at his big, awesome, sweet pad in Colossae and like that super comfortable bed that only the rich dude can afford? No, he's in prison. He's in a Roman prison. But yet he's receiving comfort from Philemon. Why? Because Philemon's life oozes this gospel-centered refreshment. Look, because... From your love, the love for the saints, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The hearts of the people in the church in Colossae have been refreshed through Philemon. Philemon lives a spiritually refreshing life. When he walks into the room, when people hang out with Philemon, when they, when they do stuff together, when they go and do stuff as his family, they, they go out to dinner, they hang out, they, they, they leave that time with him refreshed, spiritually refreshed. Do you, have you ever had anybody in your life like that? Just like spiritually refreshing for you? I have a few guys in my life that every time I, I get to be with them and I try to schedule time with them every single year just to spend a few days, they are spiritually refreshing to me. Like when I come back, Desiree's like, you, man, that's like, you're like a different person. That's good for you. You, you, should, you should do that more often. Like you should, you should go and hang out with those guys a little bit more often, right? She can tell the difference when I come back spiritually refreshed. The reality is that our everyday lives kind of suck joy from us. In some ways, they just they kind of tire us a little bit. Listen, I don't know about you, but I work with people. I won't name names, but it's all of you, okay? I work with people. That's my, that's my job. And I love my job. I love ministry. I love meeting with people. And meeting with people often is, is engaging in their, in their pain, whether, whether, it's, whether it's loss or sorrow or wrestling through marriage or wrestling with, through something with, going on with their kids or with their friendships or dealing with conflict in their life, right? I, I love doing that. But listen, in the end, it kind of, it kind of sucks you spiritually. It like grinds on you. And I, I need to be in the Word every day in order to kind of be refreshed for that. But when I get with guys who are just spiritually refreshing, they love Jesus so much that it just kind of exudes from them. It refreshes me. 
Jesus says it this way in, in John 7. It'll be up here on the screen for you. John 7, uh, 38. Jesus says this. He says, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And we've seen this. People who just love Jesus so much, as we engage with them, they just exude this kind of just life-giving water. And Paul says, man, I, Philemon, I see that in you. I see that in you. And we all, we've, we've seen this in people. If you've been around the church for a while, you've seen this. You know the difference between kind of a, a grumpy, kind of a life-sucking person. If I, I, listen, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Everything's always bad. Nothing's always, no, nothing's ever right. There's problems at work. There's problems at home. There's problems here. There's problems there, right? And, and, and it's just kind of always grumpy. It's always that way. Now listen, everybody has a bad day. Even Philemon's got bad days, and we're going we're gonna to see that in a minute. But there's a difference between the person who's always just has a problem with their boss and is always needing more money and always needing more stuff and ne nothing's ever right, never, nothing's ever content, and the person who's just spiritually refreshing. When they walk into the room, like their love and their affection for Jesus stirs your love and affection for Jesus. That's Philemon. And so this is the first thing I, I want to kind of challenge you in this morning. This is kind of the first gospel vignette, if you will. When you look at your own life, do people find you spiritually refreshing? Do people have to pour into you constantly and kind of deal with the kind of the grumpiness and the grumbling and the complaining and the lack of contentment, the frustrations of life and the worry and the anxiety? Or are they receiving joy and life from you regularly? Are you spiritually refreshing? Are you so close to Christ in your time in the Word, in your time in prayer, that when you walk into the room, man, it's just overflowing from you. And you're looking for people every single day, every single moment is an opportunity for you to kind of pour Christ into the people in your life. Pouring Christ into your children, pouring Christ into your grandchildren, pouring Christ into your spouse, pouring Christ into your neighbors, pouring Christ into your coworkers. When you walk into the door at work on Monday, is it just like, oh, no Monday? Or is it like, this is an opportunity for me to pour Christ into the people of my life? You see, for Philemon, Philemon is this, is this rich guy. And the reality is, is most of the people that I know that are wealthy and well-to-do, right, they're, they're always kind of hoarding it for themselves. And they're always kind of like, man, this is mine. I got I to gotta work harder. I got to put more time into work. And Philemon's like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. This is for others. I want to pour into and invest in others. The gospel, when we look at life through the lens of the gospel, it causes us to see a God who is extremely generous to us. We say, man, I want to be extremely generous in every area of my life. I want to be encouraging and loving and kind, and I'm going to pour my resources into those around me. It's for them, not for me. That's the first gospel effect of a kind of a gospel lens. Now, Philemon, we're going to move on to the next character, but Philemon, right, this rich business guy, one of the things that would have been true of Philemon is Philemon would have, would have had several servants in his home, okay? Now, this servant uh, is a little bit different than a servant today, like a bond servant is what ESV says, and you, your translation might say slave. In fact, other places, the ESV also says slave, but it's also different than what we would think of a slave today, right? Uh, this was written well before the 400 years of transatlantic slave trade here in the United States. 
And slavery was different in the day of Philemon. It was more of this bond servant, bond slavery, versus uh, kind of a being a bought and sold, right? They didn't, they didn't buy slaves and then mistreat them horribly until they basically worked them till death. No, this was a bond servant, which is different than a slave, in our mind of a slave. A bond servant is different. A bond servant is somebody who um, got themselves into so much financial trouble, like a massive, massive, massive amount of debt that it was unpayable. Like if they worked for the rest of their life, they could not pay this debt. They owed this money and it could not be repaid. There was just no way they were going to work themselves out of this hole that they've gotten themselves into. They made a massive financial mistake. And so this person, kind of in a last ditch effort, would find a wealthy businessman, a wealthy woman, and say, listen, if you pay my debt, I will be devoted to you. I will submit my life to you. I will work for you. And so they would. They were, their debt would get paid off, and then they would submit a number of days, sometimes their entire life, depending on the size of the debt, to this person to work off that debt that had been paid. So no longer are they under the bondage of this financial thing that they cannot ever pay off, right, which, which is risky in and of itself, right? Again, there's no bankruptcy in Rome, okay? In Rome, if you can't pay the debt, they're coming after you. And so in order to avoid that penalty, physical penalty, they get out from underneath that debt and they submit themselves to someone who's going to allow them to work for them. Now, if you're smart and you're a little strategic, you find a guy like Philemon. Philemon is a wealthy guy, but he's also this sweet, just gospel oozing, spiritual, awesome guy who's going to take really good care of you. He's going to make sure that you have a, an amazing place to live. You're going to have good food on the table. Your family, you're going to be, like bond servants would have been allowed to marry. They would have been allowed to have kids. They would have been allowed to, to even earn extra income on the side and maybe even pay off that debt that they owe to you. And so finally, he's going to treat his guys well. So now we enter in the next character of the story, Onesimus. Onesimus is a bond servant of Phi. Lehman, okay? And Onesimus does the one thing that you cannot do as a bondservant. Now, what would happen with these bondservants, and this is not, this is not a rare thing. This was, this was a kind of a common thing, right? If, you, if you're shysty, okay, here's what you do. You say, I've got this massive debt. I need you to pay it off, okay? Yes, I'll pay that off. You owe me this many years. All right, sounds good. And then you split. You get your debt paid, the check is signed, here you go, here's the check, and you run off. This is what Onesimus does. Onesimus goes to Philemon and says, hey, I want you to pay this debt, I'll work for you for, for the rest of my life, I'll give you it all. Okay, so, sounds good, let's do it. He Philemon writes the check, puts Onesimus up in a sweet pad, gives him good food, it's all good, it's all taken care of, and Onesimus disappears. And the text actually reveals that not only does he disappear, but when he disappears, he takes some of Philemon's nice stuff with him. Philemon's got this sweet house, probably some good stuff in there. He takes some of Philemon's stuff with him as he goes, takes it to the pawn shop, hawks it, finds his way to Rome, finds his way to prison, prison in Rome. And here's what happens in prison in Rome. He meets the Apostle Paul. And Paul, as in every situation in life, through the lens of the gospel, sees this as an opportunity to share the gospel with Onesimus. And Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus. Look at verse 8. Now remember, this is Paul writing to Philemon. But he's going to write about Onesimus. Accordingly, verse 8, 
Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, right? Take back Onesimus with kindness. Now, there's no, there is no law for Philemon on the way that he punishes Onesimus. He can do whatever he wants. The, the punishment for a runaway bondservant, for someone who skips out on this bill, is severe. And so what Paul is saying to Philemon is, listen, I could command you in Christ. Listen, as a follower of Jesus, you need to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. That is required of you. How dare you, how dare you hold this against him? If Christ didn't hold your sin against you, how are you going to hold the sin against him? But Paul goes on. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. He says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to speak to you that way. I'm not going to talk to you that way. For love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart, Paul says. I would rather, I would, I would have been glad to keep him, uh, to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For, for this, listen to this, for this perhaps is why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Here's what Paul says to Philemon. He's writing this about Onesimus. He says, listen, Onesimus was a dirty, no good, low down, rotten scoundrel. What he did was wrong. But Onesimus has become a follower of Jesus. The gospel has transformed his life. He is no longer who he once was. He is a new creation in Christ. Right? When Paul says, listen, maybe this is why. Maybe this is why he left you for a short time, but now you can have him back. What's the word he says? Forever. Forever. He's not talking about in this life. He's talking about forever, as in eternity, in heaven. You, can, you guys will be together now. Maybe this is why he left, so that God might lead him to me, that he might be led to Christ. And now you can have him. You guys can be together forever as brothers in Christ. What has happened, what has transpired is amazing. It is the work of God. Christ has led Onesimus to faith. He will now walk in eternity for all time with us. This is amazing. And so Onesimus, here's the second lens of the gospel. Onesimus now must return to Philemon. You see, looking through the lens of the gospel, Onesimus can, can no longer kind of diminish his sin. When, when he's a dirty, no good, rotten, thieving scoundrel apart from Christ, right? He can diminish that. Who cares? I don't care what I stole. I don't care who I stole it from. It doesn't matter. Like, I'm just, I'm looking out for me. I'm looking out for number one. That's, that's me. But now, in Christ, 
Onesimus' heart has been transformed by the Spirit, exuding the gospel from his life. He can no longer diminish these things that he's done. He can no longer diminish the sin in his life. He must meet it face on with boldness. He must go back. He must go back. And he must endure whatever he might have to endure. The exposing of his own sin in order to seek the reconciliation with his brother is worth whatever the cost he may have to endure. When, when, you, when you come to know Jesus, when you come to know Jesus and you see the beauty and the weight of the gospel, you see the ugliness and the weight of sin. Knowing that Christ gave his life on the cross to remove our sin, now we can no longer take sin lightly. Now we must meet sin head on with boldness. Say, this is exactly what I did, and it's not okay. I am sorry, and I need forgiveness. I cannot live with this sin between us for another day, for another moment, for another second. We need to seek reconciliation because that is what the gospel requires of us as brothers, as sisters in Christ. And so Onesimus now holds a new view of sin through the lens of the gospel. And with boldness, he goes back to Philemon saying, whatever punishment might be due to me, it is worth it in order to reconcile our relationship as brothers in Christ. Do you live your life that way? You see, here's what I think we do. When we, when we wrong someone in our lives, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a friend, when we wrong someone in our lives, what we want to do is just kind of sweep it under the rug and just pretend like nothing ever happened. Let's just pretend that I didn't say those incredibly harsh words to you. Can we just move past that? Let's just, let's just, let's just act like it never happened. Let's just pretend that that thing didn't go down at our house at Thanksgiving. Let's just, let's just go into Christmas and just like not talk about it. Let's just pretend at work, when I come in on Monday, let's pretend that what happened on Friday didn't really happen. And we'll just move on. And listen, if that means that we never talk to each other again, fine. But when we come to the gospel... And we look through the lens of the gospel. God does not treat our sin that way. He says that must be restored. It's so ugly and it's so broken that it must be restored, especially between brothers and sisters in Christ. We must wade into our sin, wade into the darkness, wade into the brokenness, pull back the covers and say, here's exactly what I did. Here's exactly what I said. Here's exactly what I took. And I was wrong, period. I'm sorry. Forgive me. The gospel gives us this boldness because we know that in Christ we are covered by his blood. We are clothed in his righteousness. And so whatever human punishment we might have to endure from being completely, totally exposed and honest, it is worth it in order to find that reconciliation. And so when we walk through lives with a gospel-centered lens, it changes the way that we see our own sin. And it changes the way that we see our conflict with our brothers and sisters in Christ and our spouses, and our children, and our family members. It changes the way that we engage conflict. And listen, it's funny because in, in my family, not everybody's a follower of Jesus. And I don't know if your family's this way either, but it gets awkward for them. When I'm like, let me just pull that back the covers and show you what I did. And they're like, oh, I don't really want to see that. 
Like, no, no, no. Like, this is what I did, and I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. And they're like, it's okay. Let's just not talk about it. Like, no, no, no. We're going to talk about it. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done this. Right? There's this, there's this truth rises. Truth becomes more important than, than like this awkward feeling. When we approach things through the gospel. All right, let's keep moving. The next character in our story is Paul. Paul sees this problem, this dispute between the two brothers in Christ, this, this kind of dividing thing, this, this ugliness of sin between them. And he does not, he, in the same way, he does not diminish the sin. He does not diminish the sin and say, that's no big deal, let's just move on. Paul says, there must be justice. Again, this is through the lens of the gospel. Right? God, when God looked at your sin, he didn't say, that's okay. Let's just, let's, just, let's just call it a day. Let's just wipe our hands clean of this. and just, Let's just forget that you ever did those things. Let's just forget that humanity has turned its back on me again and again and again and again. Let's just forget that you've, that you've lashed out in anger and people in your life and you have hurt them. Let's just forget the fact that you, have, that you have turned people away from the gospel with your little diminishing behavior. Let's just forget that and move on. God does not do that. He says that requires the full wrath poured out upon that. And so when Paul looks at this situation, he does not diminish, he does not diminish what Onesimus has done. Look, look at the language of Paul. This is in verse 17. Paul says this to finally me. He says, so if you consider me your partner, your partner in the gospel, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Paul looks at the situation through the lens of the gospel. He says, man, that demands justice. We're not just going to ignore this. We're not going to sweep this under the rug. That sin, that behavior demands justice. But because I love my brothers, Paul so loves Christ and is so close to Christ, everything he does is filtered through this lens of the gospel. He says, what, right? You, know, you remember the old cheesy bracelets, what, WWJD, what would Jesus do, right? Okay, cheesy, I, I know, but listen, this is, this is like the deepest level of that. Paul says, how do I emulate Christ in all that I do? How do I, as I'm being transformed from one degree of glory to another into the likeness of Christ, how do I emulate him in everything that I do? Paul says this, I will step in as Christ has stepped in. I will step between my two brothers, and I know this one is deserving of the punishment, and I know this one has every right to dish out that punishment, but I will step in and I'll say, listen, Listen, I will cover him. Whatever he's done, whatever he's taken, whatever he's stolen, charge it to my account. I have done no wrong in this situation. I have done no wrong in this situation. That doesn't mean that Paul is sinless. Just in this situation, he hasn't done anything wrong. He, he's innocent in this situation. Onesimus is the guilty party. Paul is a blameless party. He steps in, he says, I will take the punishment. Put it on me. Charge it to my account. I'll take it. I'll take it. When it comes to our work, and it comes to our life, and how we engage with stuff, this is not how we do it, right? This is not how we do it. 
When we go to bat for somebody else in our life, somebody that we know has done something wrong, we, we know that they've dropped the ball, right? Whether it's maybe this is somebody in your family, right? We all have siblings or people in our family that we're always going to bat for because they're always jacking it up and we're always going to mom and dad. We're trying to smooth it over, trying to fix it, right? Maybe somebody in your, in your office, they've dropped the ball. They're about to get fired. What we do is we go to bat using their character and their performance, we go to back to using their character and performance. Listen, they're not that bad of a guy. Listen, I know you want to fire them, but everybody in the office likes them. They're kind and they're gracious and they're, they're a good person, right? They're not that bad. You don't want to fire them. It's going to be worse for you if you do. They're a good person. Or their performance. Their performance. Do you know what they did last year? They were like our number one sales guy. Like you can't fire them over this one little thing, right? We diminish what they did and we build up their character. We build up their performance. Paul doesn't do this. He doesn't do it. He didn't say Onesimus is a good guy. He says Onesimus is a dirty scoundrel. He needs sin. It's, it's not okay. It's not right. What he did was wrong, and it deserves to be punished. Paul doesn't make excuses. He says, I'll step in, and I'll take the punishment. This is so through the lens of the gospel. It's, you can't miss it. It's so clear. It's so clear. Let me read this passage again for you. Verse 17, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Onesimus in Christ in the position of Paul. Christ speaking to God the Father, being Philemon. Here's what he says. So if you, if you, God the Father, consider me your son to be your partner in this, receive him. Receive Josh as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Jesus, I write this with my own hand. I will repay it. I will repay it. Friends, this is the gospel. The God of all things does not diminish your sin. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He says that deserves the full wrath of all that I am and all that I have. It is so broken and so disgusting. It's the stench is, un, I can't even stomach the stench of it. Our glory thieving, just lashing out at everybody, having to get our way. It must be my way. I must receive the glory. Hoarding for ourselves, robbing from those who are less than, constantly, always in our lives. In every area, we are constantly doing this. I don't have time for that. I can't invest in that. I, it's got to be more about me. I need my comfort, my glory, and my joy. If he's wronged you in any way, if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. Friends, we have wronged the God of all things in every single way. We owe him our very lives and Christ is charged to my account. He goes to the cross and he absorbs the full wrath of God for you. The full wrath of God. And he extends to you his own righteousness. He says, when you see this person, when you see him, when you see her, receive him as you would receive me because they are now clothed in my righteousness. They now wear me. 
I exchange all of my goodness for all of their wretchedness. And I'll bear it all the way to death, even death on the cross. The full wrath of God will be poured out on me. And it'll be killed. It'll be, it'll be pierced and killed right there. The death of sin is found in the death of Christ. And yet we're given his full righteousness. This is what Paul does for Onesimus. He says, I'm not going to diminish what you did. I'm not going to make excuses for you. What you did was wrong, but I'll own it. Do we live our lives with gospel lenses on everything that we do? Are we so attached, so connected with Christ that this is just what we do naturally? Like the gospel just oozes from us. Here's what I want to challenge you with this summer. Summer is just a sweet time to draw near to Christ. Maybe you've fallen away this winter. Maybe you've fallen away from the reading plan. Maybe you've fallen away from prayer. Maybe you've fallen away from just kind of being connected to the Spirit and experiencing the, the fruit of the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit in your life. Seek Christ. Proclaim the gospel over your life every single day. Remind yourself of the weight of sin and the weight of glory and remind yourself of who you once were and who you now are in Christ again and again and again every single day. Draw near to him and allow him to transform your life from one degree of glory to another into his own likeness that you might exude, just ooze Christ from your life and everything that you do. Might it change everything that you, the way that you see everything? Might it change the way you think about everything? Might the gospel just permeate every area of your life as you draw near to Christ? If you do not draw near to Christ, if your chief love of life is not Christ, then you will not exude the gospel. You can't fake it. Maybe for a day, maybe for a week, but eventually it'll catch up to you. And you can see it so clearly on those who are just refreshing, spiritually refreshing, those who are bold in their sin, Th those who, right, Martin Luther, sin boldly but believe and rejoice in Christ more boldly still, Martin Luther says. Yeah, that is it. That is exactly what we see in Onesimus. I just call it what it is, but I believe and rejoice in Christ all the more boldly still. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning and we just, we just lay our lives before you. We just, we just lay prostrate and say, man, there is nothing, there's nothing in me that is, that is worthy of your goodness. There's nothing in me that's worthy of your favor. There's nothing I've ever done that can, that can buy forgiveness from you. And what, what I have done to you, I cannot be repaid. I am the bondservant. I, I can't pay back the debt. I can't do it. I can give the rest of my life to, to charity. I can give the rest of my life to, to try and to, to be someone who I'm not. But, that, that's, but I will never pay back the debt of Christ on the cross. I'll never pay back the debt of sin. I sit underneath the weight of that. And I'm not going to hide from it anymore. I'm not going to try and sweep it underneath the rug because you didn't sweep it underneath the rug. You gave up your only son for that. And so might I be one who takes sin seriously. Might I be one who draws near to the God who loves me so unbelievably much. And might I be transformed by, from one degree of glory to another into the likeness of his son. Might people look at me. Might people look at the people in this room and see Christ, see the gospel just oozing from our lives in every area. 
Help us to have lenses as, the, as we look at the things in life, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between, that we would look through the lens of the gospel and that we would know quickly how to engage there. How to respond to that need, how to respond to that brokenness with boldness and courage. Jesus, draw near to us as we enter into the summer. Help us to carve out time and draw near to you. Help us to see the beauty and the worth of Christ. I pray these things in his name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.